but with pets there is a choice you know there is a choice to breed responsibly there is a, a choice to to match responsibly and not to breed dogs that will have predisposed health issues that will cause them suffering and and animals are so innocent in, in a sense like why I, I just cannot accept the exploitation of, of animals in general and I think that that is also a strong strong focus. This episode is brought to you by WHU, the Otto Beisheim School of Management. WHU is reshaping the way students learn about business, management, finance, and entrepreneurship through its innovative programs and partnerships in Germany and across the globe. To learn more about this globally ranked university, visit whu.edu today. Hi folks, Dries Hirsch. Welcome to the newest episode of the awesome Founder Talent Recordings. Today, I'm happy to introduce to you Sufian Osama. Together with his co-founder, Niklas Widder, Sufian is building the startup Honest Dog. Sufian and Niklas have the ambition to turn Honest Dog into a platform that helps individuals who want to buy a dog in finding pre-vetted and ethical breeders or shelters in a transparent and convenient way. We are looking forward to hear the story of Sufian and Honest Dog today. Hope you will enjoy the show. Coming to you from WHU, on the banks of the Rhine River, in beautiful Fallendar, Germany, this is the best and most awesome founder podcast. A show about entrepreneurs, innovators, advisors, and educators, and the stories that make them who they are today. Sufjan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. Now, Sufjan, uh, your name is not really the traditional German name. Maybe to kick off, can you tell us a bit about your background and, and how you actually ended up in Germany? Yeah, so I was born in Pakistan, and but I just spent my, my first 11 years there, more or less. And But it was never really in a, in a single place, or I never really felt like the, I had a home, because by the time I was 11, um, I already lived in seven different cities. Wow. Um, But at 11, we then moved to a different country. We moved to the UK. Um, okay. And although, luckily, my English was decent, um, but I still had a huge culture shock. Um, and that took about a year, basically, to, to adjust to. And by the time I was really thriving and enjoying uh, life, in, in, in a sense, I was uprooted again. We moved back to Pakistan um, for, for, for a couple of years and then reverse culture shock. Yeah. And then I just couldn't imagine staying in Pakistan, uh, to be honest. It just didn't feel comfortable or home. Mm. Uh, and I wanted to come back to Europe. Um, and I am like really grateful that Germany actually allows free education for international students. Okay. Because otherwise, there are really just no financially uh, decent options. For example, UK is extremely expensive. Mm. So then here I am at uh, 17. I, I land in Germany, uh, in Stuttgart. And okay. I'm waiting for the bus and somehow the feeling of now I'm the captain of my ship. I control my destiny and I felt more home than I've ever felt before. And that feeling, I won't forget that feeling of, of coming to Germany, sort of. Yeah. And, and I don't want to go into the deep psychology. <laughs> I'm not a psychologist, like say it like that, but 
moving so much around, well, what kind of impact did that have on you? Uh, do you still feel that in one way or another? Yeah, so I think the, when when as a child you're uprooted so often, you you sort of distance yourself a little bit from people and, and your surroundings because yeah. you don't want to be emotionally attached and be you know hurt every single time. And this happened so often. So I kind of took a more distant approach to to people and and things. Um, and I guess that's also where my my love for animals uh, yeah. somehow started because I wasn't quite deeply emotionally connected to my peers around me. Yeah. Um, and also I'm a bit introverted as well in that sense. So that, um, yeah, it, it did impact me, but I feel like now since coming to Germany, I was able to yeah, like, no, like right now my life is in my control and it's not like I will lose my friends or people if I move somewhere, it's normal. Yeah. Because of, of course, today we will talk about the platform that you're developing a platform to, to buy dogs. And, and I think for a lot of kids, pets can have a very significant importance in their life uh, can you tell us maybe a bit about how pets and dogs have influenced your childhood then given this this very specific circumstances that you experienced yeah so i mean i, I was naturally a bit of a eccentric kid um, and not being able to connect with my peers i yeah. always found dogs around me somehow and it wasn't my my own dogs or pets it was dogs of other people, stray dogs, or, or just dogs we were, we were fostering. Because as you can imagine, if you're moving around so much and you have no idea where you're going to move to, you can't actually take a pet with you everywhere. Yeah. So I remember this specific instance when I was seven years old, and there was a huge earthquake in Pakistan, a lot of destruction, a lot of lives were lost. And it was really bad in the, the mountainous north region of Pakistan. And right after the earthquake, we had to move to the north. Um, <laughs> and the the city and area was was very destroyed there was a lot of damage and you could see you could see the damage on humans and and also animals around because some of them would have scars and would be missing limbs and so forth so it was, mm. it was really bad and our school as well was was completely flat so we had no school building and it was oh. studying in the in the open air for a few weeks and then the un basically gave us shelters or tents these temporary tents the blue tents i, I still have a very clear image of them lined across the uh, big yard in a, in a sense. Mm. And we also got biscuits there, so high energy biscuits from the UN. It was a very underdeveloped, poor place um, in general. And in the beginning, of course, everyone loved the biscuits, but after a while, all the kids were tired of them um, and then getting a bit creative with building stuff with them, throwing them at each other. <laughs> so it's not great. Um, but, you know, I always felt bad about the food being wasted because I saw so much, so many animals and so forth. So I used to collect them in my, in my bag. And then when I would be going back home, I would literally have a, like a pack of dogs. First, mm -hmm. it was just one dog I would give biscuits to. Then a pack of dogs that would be following me around wherever I, I went and I remember spending hours with them, um, training them and, and feeding them these biscuits that uh, no one liked anymore. Mm. Um, and it's a very fond memory that I have of, of, of just being around animals. Yeah. Oh, great. And uh, <laughs> quite a dramatic experience, I suppose, <laughs> not that being there. Yeah. Well, and, and actually, I read actually in your storyline that, that you had another traumatic experience with one of your own pets in the end. Uh, can you yeah. maybe tell the audience a bit what you experienced because I think it's important to understand why you have developed a startup also. Yeah, so because I was crazy and had this reputation of just being around dogs all the time and never being able to have one, I was like, I want a puppy. I wanted a Labrador puppy. Yeah. 
Um, as, as a kid, you know, I think they're the, every kid kind of wants puppies at, at some point. Um, and then my, when I was nine years old, my uncle got, got me a, a young Labrador puppy. And I felt like, you know, my, my whole life being around pets, like this is something that, you know, I wanted to sort of bring with me everywhere. Like I want to dedicate that he's coming along wherever we go in the, in the future. Um, so I, you know, again, me sort of keeping my distance from things, I was, I got very attached very quickly mm -hmm. to this puppy that I had to feed, I had to take care of and, and do everything for. If it would be, uh, there would be a thunderstorm outside, like my heart would be jumping around and wherever I was, was, I was running back. I hope there's no water in this place and, mm -hmm. um, and, and so forth. And then a month later, suddenly it was, it was very, very sudden. The, what Romeo the called him Romeo. He started vomiting and having bloody diarrhea and he, mm -hmm. he was, he was gone within 24 hours mm -hmm. and there was, there was nothing um, I could do. And I was really, really heartbroken at that mm -hmm. point. And I was like a, a empty shell, a, a zombie for, for weeks afterwards and mm -hmm. people trying to, trying to console me. And <clears throat> then a few a few years later, um, when I was in the in the UK, basically I discovered. Well, I was just curious about dogs all the time. This thing called parvovirus. It's okay. something puppies are vaccinated for when they're young, and you have to keep their environment clean, sterilize it, and so forth, so they don't get parvovirus. And then I connected the symptoms, uh, and then it clicked in my head that Romeo died of parvovirus, something mm. that should have been preventable. Uh, and I just felt so guilty that I could have prevented the death of Romeo if mm. I was just more knowledgeable, if I just knew better that about vaccines, about um, sterilization and, and, and so, so much more. And being a bit more intellectually oriented kid, because I, I was always reading stuff um, all the time, even going to school, being on the metro in UK, uh, that's every train station and so forth, <laughs> passing time that way that I ended up in the library and started reading about dogs, everything mm -hmm. about dogs, from how to raise a puppy to canine anatomy and books that veterinaries would be reading and about breeding and little tiny issues in skeletal system and so forth. And I was 12 you know? and everyone was like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Study school stuff. But I remember... Um, at some point, uh, my library card, they were like, hey, you, you can't borrow more books. I was like, why? They're like, you have over 100 books issued on dogs. <laughs> <laughs> so you read every single book about dogs in the library. <laughs> I even ordered, you know, the, the, I remember the book by Cesar Milan. He's a very famous doctor in the US. He released a book and I was like, can I please have it? <laughs> um, but, but yeah, it, if, that also led me being in the library. You have curiosities. There's so many books around you that you just jump into other topics. And I, I basically spent those three, four years in the UK um, every evening in the, in the library till, till late, just, just reading on, on everything. And I think that also had a profound impact on who, on who, who I am, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And I think hearing your story, nobody will question here the founder market fit, not you have, you have such rich and also traumatic experiences with dogs that it's it's very clear why you are doing this now but but maybe because in the end as i mentioned in the introduction you're now focusing on developing a platform that mainly wants to make this kind of process of buying a puppy much more transparent much more reliable 
Now, why exactly want you, do you want to focus on that, that particular part of uh, the, the process of uh, having a dog and stuff like that? Yeah, so I, I worked in a lot of different startups and I had this entrepreneurial bug from reading and, and all, all, all mm. these things. I went from very scientific to I want to have uh, entrepreneurial stuff. And when I basically when I was writing my master thesis, um, Nick and I, my, my co-founder, we met at university and we decided because we worked together six months on a CFA challenge that we then ended up at the global finals, um, five teams okay. out of a, almost a thousand. So we worked quite intensively and then we we're like, you know, I think it would be good if we, if we start a, start a company after. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we started ideating and we were ideating for three months on what are the problems out there that's worthwhile for us to solve. Both of us had experience working in a lot of different companies as internships, working students, gap years and, and so forth. So we were like, okay, B2B, B2B SaaS. But then I, was, I remember I was in the, we basically were ideating, I was at Nick's grandma's place in, in Vienna. Um, and her, his grandma was showing me pictures of a golden retriever and Nick had, you know, life. And I also started thinking about my, my stories with dogs because mm. I kind of buried that down when I came to Germany because I knew I could not get a dog anytime soon. Um, always moving around, exchange semesters, internships. I don't have a place and so forth. So just out of curiosity, we're like, you know, what's the process of getting a dog? And the first thing we came to was eBay Kleinanzeigen. And that just shocked me from knowing the, the complexities about breeding and what you need to know. And, and, and you know, pure breed dogs, especially, they're, you have to be careful with breeding. Um, there could be so many issues that come out of bad breeding. And at that moment, I knew that we need to investigate this further because this is not, not how puppies should be, should be sold um, at all. And then we just started reading a little bit and realized a lot of puppy fraud that goes on and illegal puppy trade. And yeah. also because of these unethical breeding practices, um, the puppies that are sick, they have a lot of different issues that end up at shelters. And especially during COVID, there was such high demand and there were so many dodgy players in the market that many dogs were sold that shouldn't have been sold in a sense. Mm. And then they ended up in shelters and then shelters were full. So at that time, we kind of were like, we have to drop all the, all the other things. This is pressing issue. And something inside me was also like, this is my calling in a sense, like this, this need, I need to, I need to try to find a solution to this, or at least understand this very well of why it's, why it's happening. And that's when we decided to focus on this. Yeah. Okay. Clear. And at the same time, I think, and so the, I, I think you very nicely illustrate uh, the pain points that you have as a kind of consumer that wants to buy a dog, all the uncertainty, you don't know the quality of the breeder. At the same time, I think also from the breeder perspective, there are quite some pain points in this process. Uh, and I suppose that in the past months, you have talked with quite some breeders about this. C- can you maybe share a bit how, how what they see as the core pain points in the process? Yeah, so, so the absolute core of this problem, and we talk, we have talked right now to over 300 breeders um, in total. And one of the first breeders we just randomly called from one of this classified classifieds just almost started crying. She was really emotional because she was like the lack of transparency in these marketplaces is really hurting good, honest, like responsible breeders. I mean, mm-hmm. She had been breeding for generations. Her dad was a breeder. Her granddad was breeding dogs. And she knew the pedigrees of the puppies she produced generations back. And then she was like, she was, she was crying because at the end, what do the buyers see? Cute puppy pictures. They look the same. And a price tag. 
No, she's not able to show that. Um, and that's why people come to her like, why is your puppy expensive? And then the, she's like, you know, who are you comparing me with? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> puppy farms? <laughs> Um, so that was the core, this intransparency. I mean, in, in a business sense, the market for lemons is, is, is a classic example. And, and there are a lot of similarities with, with, the, with the breeders market. And, and I think that's the core. Of course, there are more uh, process problems as well and efficiencies. But the core is the untransparency that if that's solved, then everything else has to also happen for that to be solved. Yeah. And can you then maybe explain a bit how you want to solve that? So how will you give consumers a guarantee that when they buy a puppy on your platform, that they can be assured that it comes from a breeder that is trustworthy, that meets all the ethical standards that you want? How do you do that? Yeah, so, so that's really the, the core of the problem that, that we, we wanted to solve. And we spent the last three, four months just solely focusing on that. And th these breeder calls also, we, we tried to find the best breeders that are out there, um, generational breeders as well. They have, they have a craft, they put their soul, you know, it's their legacy, what comes. Each dog has the name of their their place, essentially. Um, mm. And also with, with vets and also reading a lot of academic articles on health, uh, as, as both of us, both of us are a bit geeky, so <laughs> we, we tend to go quite deep um, in, into it. And then we, we essentially wanted to systematize because if a breeder wants to come, there are so many things, there's only a few amount of things we can do. But the most important thing was a more of a systematic approach of assessing how their parent dogs are, are treated, just as in a more ethical sense, but also mm -hmm. in, a, in a health standard. So are they, if for example, you're breeding German shepherds, they are prone to hip dysplasia and elbow dysplasia, among other things. Do you have these screening tests and are they being cleared because most puppies that get them, it's it's hereditary, like majority of the cases. Mm. So do they have these? And we have this for every breed, that if a breeder is breeding a certain breed, we have a list of things that they need to have proof that it's been okay. clarified. Um, and of course, other documents like like their IDs. And But, you know, online, there's only so much you can do. And mm -hmm. that is why the, the grander, broader vision is that our customers, you know, a good breeder, will invite people over, not just so they can see around and ask us questions, a lot of things, but also to match you with the puppy from a litter. Because even within a litter, there, there are puppies with a very high drive and low drive. And if you're you know, super active, you don't want the puppy with the least drive in a litter. So mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a matching and there's a whole science and matrices that, that are developed around it and scores and, and so forth. Um, so they can also, if we educate them, they can actually also say that, hey, the breeder had the clean place and they had this certain things that they mentioned. It's actually also true um, in a sense. But that's sort of the, the two-pronged way of, of assuring that only the most trustworthy people are on the platform. Yeah, clear. Um, now, as you have explained, so an important part of your platform is to do this matching uh, so that it becomes easier for consumers to buy a reliable uh, or a dog, not a reliable dog, but a dog from a reliable breeder. Um, now, is that really what you want to focus on or do you have even broader ambitions with, you, with your startup? I mean, our mission at the end of the day is to give pets a healthy, happy home for life, whether it's from a shelter or breeder. Mm -hmm. And though the initial matching is one of the most critical components here, a good start is, 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 goes a long way. But it doesn't end there. We, we want to support 
all our customers through the lifetime of the dog. If that's education, um, if that's through resources, if that's just through, they can come to us, call us for any help and issue. And, and we try to help with experts, with the community so that they're basically, the dog can have the highest, or we, we want to maximize essentially the success of a dog having a suffering fee forever home, essentially. Yeah, yeah clear. And so I have a feeling that, that you have a very strong drive here uh, for, for creating this kind of ethical process to get dogs. Can you maybe delve briefly a bit deeper into why you're so committed to this cause? Why is this really what you want to contribute to? Yeah, so I think, I think it comes down to, to a few different factors. But in the end, I mean, I've had a very interesting upbringing and, and being a self-reflected kid who was uprooted so many times and, and living in multiple countries and seeing also a lot of suffering and poverty. I have this sort of helicopter view where I know where I am in life. I'm extremely fortunate to be here. And it's also painful awareness because I could have been born anywhere in any circumstance. Mm. Um, and when I saw people growing up, their kids, you know, five, six, seven years old, eating from trash and basically picking up recycling materials all day long to sell, to make a living, and they were still malnourished. Um, it, it, it's heartbreaking in a sense. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, the feeling of home when I came to Germany, I'm in my driver's seat. I have the opportunities and everything. My life is in my hands. And that's something that I felt very strongly about. And, and with people, you know, allowing them to break the cycle, to have education opportunities for a happy, healthy life. And when, but when it comes to, you know, people have, don't have a choice where they're born. It's sort of a, a lottery by God, if you want to call it that in a sense. But with pets, there is a choice, you know, there is a choice to breed responsibly. There is a, a choice to, to match responsibly and not to breed dogs that will have predisposed health issues that will cause them suffering. And, and animals are so innocent in, in a sense, like why, why I just, cannot accept the exploitation of, of animals in general. And I think that that is also a strong, strong focus um, or belief that I have. Yeah, clear. And so in the end, if you now look like a few years into the future, what would you like to really accomplish in the end with Honest Dog? When, when would you have to feel like, okay, we accomplished our goal? <laughs> That's a that's a good question. Um, and being realistic, it, it, it's going to take it's going to take some time. It's a very complicated issue, but I can't I can't wait for the day when all dogs are coming from responsible sources and are matched well and have forever home. So that when you go to adopt a dog from a shelter, you simply can't because all dogs already have a happy, healthy, forever home right from the start. And that is sort of when we, we feel like we achieved something with, with Honest Dog. Yeah, so your ultimate ambition would be that we no longer have shelters because we no longer yeah. need them. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a very nice goal to have. And let's hope that we can get close to it with, uh, <laughs> with this platform. And I really, I really am very impressed by by the ambition that you have and and for instance to be be honest and transparent i have nothing with dogs i'm i'm not an animal person but listening to your story i can fully see how pets had such an impact on your life and how they can have an impact on your life and how we should make sure that 
we can minimize as much as possible the traumatic experience that you had to have with your uh, your dog Romeo because I think this this can create scars for children that that we should avoid. Yeah. Yeah. So, thanks a lot for sharing this uh, the story, Sufian. This was really great to hear, and I wish you all the best with further developing the platform. And hopefully, we can like talk again in a few years to then <laughs> enjoy the fact that the amount of shelters has been drastically <laughs> reduced. That would be great. That would be great indeed, and it was it was indeed great talking to you, Greece, as well. Okay, and I also want to thank our listeners for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something from it. If you liked this episode, please don't forget to rate us on your favorite podcast software. And then I hope we can again connect in one of the few next episodes. Bye.